Today's reading is from Luke 11, verses 5 through 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give instead a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's been a really, really heavy season lately. I mean, the past day, the past couple days, the past couple weeks and months. And usually what I would do to kind of relieve some of that stress is to go on a drive or just going from one meeting to the next, the quietness of the car. My wife would also navigate some of that stress going to a photography session. My kids would extend their stress to their classmates by going to school. But in light of everything, we've been together always a lot. Did I say always? And, and listen, it's great, but sometimes I just can't. <laughs> There's this witching hour, um, basically 5 p.m. right before dinner to 30 minutes after bedtime. My kids come with a series of questions and requests that sound a lot like this. Have you ever walked out of a mall into a huge parking area and realized you'd forgotten where you parked your car? Ever go on mountain biking? What do you want to be when you grow up? What's the right tip? Have you called a plumber to your home lately? How superstitious are you? How much money would it take to make you spend a night in a cemetery? Would you display this as a trophy? Do you have a pet? Do you have a sweet tooth? Do you believe in the power of a curse? Have you had your hearing tested lately? Planning a trip soon? Can you remember the tallest man you've ever seen? Do you love to go a-wandering beneath a clear blue sky? Have you noticed what big stars real estate agents have become? Are you careful with your personal records? Does your computer ever seem to have a mind of its own? Have you ever visited a Chinatown section in a major city? Have you ever visited a flea market? Have you ever visited a truck stop? Did you ever have a job as a waiter? Have you noticed how many successful restaurants are theme-based these days? Have you ever had the desire to write your initials in wet cement? Listen, I love my kids. I love them a whole lot. But sometimes I just can't. And whether you got kids or not, we've all had that experience, right? You, you get that 10th text in a row from that one friend or that fourth phone call from that one cousin. For all of us, there are just sometimes these moments, sometimes we just can't. 
And interestingly enough, when Jesus goes to talk about prayer, he describes it like that. Now, to be clear, what I don't mean is that some place and sometimes where God is like, hey, Gabe, hold that thought. God just needs a little me time. No, that's not what we mean. But in those moments where our prayers can feel so intense, sometimes even overwhelming for ourselves, Jesus wants us to know. And that's what we're going to see today, that he wants us to know that our Father always loves to be asked. Always. He never puts on noise-canceling headphones. He never puts his phone on airplane mode or goes for a long walk just wanting silence. He's always, always available. And he always loves to be asked. And that's an intriguing thought. Frankly, it's a revolutionary thought that if we are deeply convicted by that truth, it actually changes more than just our prayer lives. Let's take a look together. If you haven't already, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 5. In the New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And while you're turning there, we are walking through this summer Jesus' parables in the gospel account of Luke. And the context, just to kind of give us a frame of reference here, is a Jewish community who has known hundreds of years of oppression and occupation, crying out in lament, longing for God to bring change, to bring liberty. And all they've received is silence. Silence for 400 years. And now Jesus shows up on the scene. And suddenly God is doing something through Jesus that they've all been aching for. Those who they thought were lost causes are now experiencing healing. Those who were forever ostracized are now invited back in. And everybody, the jaded, the broken, the doubtful, are saying maybe, just maybe, God is doing something. And so they come to Jesus here in chapter 11 of, of Luke and they say, teach us how to pray, teach us how to talk to God. And so Jesus brilliantly and simply talks them through what's called the Lord's Prayer, anchored in the fatherhood of God for his children. And then he moves from how to pray to why we should pray. And this is especially good for us and for you if you feel jaded, you feel exhausted, you feel like you're just in a place of doubt. This is a good reminder today why we should pray. You see, Jesus, beginning in verse 5, tells a story and he says, I want you to imagine a friend comes to your house at midnight and he wakes you up. Now, just for a second, put yourself in that place. You're in a deep sleep. You're having an amazing dream. And then suddenly out of nowhere comes a banging on the door of your loft or the ringing of the doorbell at your house. And you go to the door frantic and you see your friend. The first questions come to your mind are like, where's the fire? Or there better be an emergency? Or how much did you have to drink? Right? Like, but this friend is like, nah, bro, there's no problem. I just had some friends come in from out of town and I ran out of snacks. And you're like, seriously? Here's some hot dog buns. Leave me alone. I'm going back to sleep. And Jesus then tells us what this parable is about. And this is where a lot of scholars dispute. It's in chapter 11, verse 8. Jesus says, I tell you, though he, this is the sleepy guy who got woke up in the middle of the night, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, impudence is right here at the center of the meaning of this parable. But what does impudence mean? Nobody really uses that in their language anymore. Impudence has this idea of shamelessness. shamelessness. It's a very negative quality. And Jesus is saying, you can come to God like that. You can ask, you can seek, you can knock. 
you can come to God always. And Jesus is saying, listen, if a friend, like even a decent friend, will get up in the middle of the night to help his friend out because he's annoying him, how much more will a loving God respond to the requests of his children? And Jesus is making this abundantly clear through a ridiculous parable. He wants you and I to know that our Father always, always loves to be asked. There's never a bad time. You can't get yourself all like in the right mood. It's not about having enough good deeds lined up that finally God will turn his ear towards you. No, none of that. Our Father always loves to be asked. And so Jesus raises the question, why not every moment you can come to him in prayer? In other words, Jesus says, ask. Just ask. The door is open. Now, when you're in that situation where you're not sure how someone's going to respond to a request you have, or you're not sure they're going to see it from your vantage point or understand your motive, we tend to take on a couple manipulative tactics, right? Like first we start thinking through, okay, what's the best time of day to make this ask? Maybe we'll kind of reinforce a connection like, hey, friend. Or maybe just maybe you try to get commitment before you give too many details. Hey, would you do me a favor? And it's like, oh yeah, sure, I'll help you out. Okay, I'm moving next Saturday. It's going to take six hours. I'll buy the pizza. By the way, I won't be there, but thanks for being willing to help. Like, right? You know, it's like we try to get the commitment before we give the details. And we use all of this language to try to manipulate God. And Jesus is like, look, this shameless guy in this story, he does none of that. And what God wants us to know is that he will respond better to a friend who's annoyed because he's a loving, kind father. And so Jesus is telling you and me, just ask. You don't have to make it cute. You don't have to enter into a particular prayer voice. You don't have to make it fancy. Don't overthink it. Just ask. And then the second thing he says is not just ask, but ask expecting. This is where we keep reading in verses 9 through 11. And Jesus says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? You see, Jesus is inviting us into the heart of our God. That he's a really, really good father. That when you come asking, we should expect that he's willing to meet with us. He's willing to listen to us. And he has a bias towards giving good gifts to his children. Now, I was talking to a friend a couple weeks ago. His computer completely died. And it was still under warranty, so he shipped it out. And he was on the phone with customer service and he was on the phone with customer service for hours. Now, I'm not going to name the computer company, but he was on the phone for hours getting sent from one customer service agent to the next, to the next, to the next, till eventually he felt like the whole system was set up to prevent him from getting help. And sometimes it can feel that way when it comes to prayer, but Jesus is saying, no, 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 that is not what prayer is like at all all. Instead, when we come to prayer, we are to see God as a good father so that when we come requesting our needs before him, we should expect God to act like a really good father. 
Now, what that doesn't mean is that we should come expecting God to be a genie. A genie gives you whatever you ask for. You've got limited wishes, but it'll give you whatever you ask for, even if it destroys you. That's not who our God is. He's also not a bad father who doesn't respond to our requests. And for some of us, that's been a part of our story that's consistently tainted our understanding of who God actually is. Instead, what we see in the passage is that God is a good father. And this is what it means. When we come in prayer, we should always expect that the motives of our good father are perfect for us, but we should not expect that he will always give us what we want when we ask of it. You see, a really good father knows that he can't answer every request of his children in the time that they want it. Because sometimes answering and giving your children what they want will destroy them. Instead, a good father isn't just chasing after comfort, but chasing after maturity. And that will impact what he gives his children. A good father will take a much longer path if that means it's a greater opportunity for growth. A really good father always pursues what's best, not just what's preferable. And so that leads us to one more crucial aspect that Jesus wants to teach us today when it comes to prayer. We don't don't just come and ask. Yes, come boldly and, and freely without trying to figure out all the right words. And, and also come asking, expecting that God will be a good father. But because of that, come asking, expecting, or ask expecting God's best. Ask expecting God's best. And that's why verse 13 is such a surprising end. Look with me at verse 13. Jesus says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God wants us to know that the best for us is himself, his presence. That's why the climax of this whole teaching on prayer ends with the Holy Spirit. You see, the longer that I'm a dad, the longer that I realize that the requests of my children aren't really about the thing themselves, but about spending time with me. So for example, when my daughter Ava wants to show me her jewelry collection, like every morning, it has less to do with the jewelry and more to do with her desire to spend time with her daddy. When Israel wants to build Legos with me, it's not that he can finish a project of Legos, well, it's partly that, but it's also that he can spend time with his dad thinking up new creations and figuring out stories around those creations. When Zion won't let me off the couch because he wants, to read, wants me to read him another book, it's less about the book and more about the time with daddy. They want me in their life. I desperately want to be in theirs. Now take that to the next level. Imagine a perfect, loving father who always knows what's best for you and for me. Always. And is diligent to always pursue what's best for you and for me such that now every prayer is an invitation. Every time of crying out in the midst of injustice and brokenness and heartache, he longs to be with his people. This is the God that we have, that we should come ask, expecting God's best, his presence. And this is what God's people have known throughout history. If you just do a cursory reading of scripture, 
You go back to Eden. You know what made Eden the way life ought to be? This beginning, the way God has designed it in its perfection, it was that God walked and talked with the first couple in the garden. He was present. When you think about Moses and Joshua, you know where they got their confidence in the midst of trials and battle? It was the understanding that God, if you are with us, who can be against us? God, go before us or he won't go at all. When you think about David, what is he crying out for in the Psalms? More than anything, it's God's palpable presence. And then when you get to Jesus, what's so astounding about Jesus is that he is God in the flesh. He has come to tabernacle among us. And then he promises, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. What makes the Apostle Paul content in all circumstances, while also zealous for reconciliation in the now, and holiness in all of life? It is that God is with us by the power of his spirit. And what makes heaven heaven? It's that we will be with God eternally without any barriers. That's our deepest delight. That's what we've been designed for. That's where we find our greatest joy and our deepest needs met. Our Father always loves to be asked. So ask expecting God's best. Ask expecting Him. Because he's the one who changes everything. He's the one who is ultimately the difference between heaven and hell. Because when he is there, he makes all wrongs right. He's the one who wipes every tear from our eyes. He's the one who makes us feel whole. He is everything. And we can have confidence that no matter our circumstance, no matter how screwed up the world may feel, he longs to be with his people now and there's a day coming when we will know only his richest of presence. May it be so. Let's pray. God, we long for you because we know in you is the richest of life and without you, even the greatest of riches and the most comfortable of existence is yet another form of hell. God, we need you and praise you that you consistently tell us in your word that we can cry out and actually expect you to be with us. Thank you that by the power of the Spirit, if we confess Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells within us richly. May we lean into your presence. May we hunger and thirst for your presence. And may your presence guide us. Because when we follow and walk in step with you, we do find the deepest of delight even amidst the richest of suffering. God, only by your power, only by your strength, Holy Spirit, empower us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And in one space where we remember how much our God longs to be with us, is at the Lord's Supper, where he reminds us on a weekly basis that through his son, he has gone to the greatest of lengths to communicate his love for us and his willingness to give the greatest cost so that he can have the deepest of intimacy with you and me. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you would like to partake in the Lord's Supper and you have those elements available to you, now would be a perfect time 
to take part in the Lord's Supper. And if you need a couple more minutes, feel free to pause at this moment and to kind of gather some things together, whether it be bread or juice of any sort, so that you can partake and remember the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But before we come, let's remember what's been handed down to us. From 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever you're ready, take.